2: Tap the banner to go to monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment.
0: Once upon a time in another political era known as 2008, we at Intelligence Squared held a debate on a just-then-concluding presidency with a very, very toughly worded proposition, which was, George W. Bush is the worst president of the last 50 years. And after robust debate, that motion was actually defeated. Well, now it is Barack Obama's turn with an eight-year record of his own in which we're going to judge his decisions on a number of international issues, Iran and Russia and Cuba and climate change and Syria and China, and the whens and hows of using military force. And the question is, how did he do overall? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so we're going to have it. Another toughly worded resolution, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City with four superbly qualified debaters who will argue for and against that motion. As always, we go in three rounds, and then our live audience here in New York votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. The motion again, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. First, let's welcome the team arguing for the motion. Hello to Elliot Cohen. Elliot, welcome back to Intelligence Squared for the second time. You're a professor at Hopkins. You're a former counselor at the Department of State. You've written a lot of books. The most recent one coming out, The Big Stick, The Limits of Soft Power and the Necessity of Military Force. And for those of us who don't remember, Big Stick refers
2: to what? It uh, refers to a speech that was given by Theodore Roosevelt in 1901, and in which he very famously said, speak softly, but carry a big stick. And of course, the big stick was military power. Okay. Thank you, Elliot. And who is your partner? My partner is a, a friend and former colleague, uh, Ambassador Kristen Silverberg. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Silverberg. Welcome, Kristen. <laughs> Kristen, you had a lot
0: of diplomatic jobs in the Bush administration, including U.S. Ambassador to the European Union. Uh, During the final months of the Bush administration, you were quoted as – talking about continuity, you said, quote, that much of U.S. foreign policy is constant from administration to administration. Uh, But in light of our recent election results, do you expect that still to be the case?
3: Ellie and I both signed a number of never-Trump letters, and so we have not been invited to Trump Tower to share our views, uh, but I expect a lot of changes. A lot of
0: changes. All right, thank you. So this makes a turning point that we're at tonight, it sounds like. Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing for the motion. And again, that motion is Obama's foreign policy is a failure, and two debaters to argue against that moment. Please first welcome Derek Cholet. Hi, Derek, and you are uh, a senior advisor right now at the German Marshall Fund, but also uh, several positions at the State Department in the Obama administration. Also the author of a book called The Long Game, How Obama Defied Washington and Redefined America's Role in the World, in which you describe President Obama as the foreign
4: policy version
0: of Warren Buffett.
4: What does that mean? Well, first, truth in advertising. I grew up in Nebraska, so I'm obliged to make as many (laughs) Warren Buffett comparisons as I can. Uh, But uh, my argument is that, like Warren Buffett, Obama is fundamentally an optimist about the United States, and he also believes in putting the United States on a course to win the long game. He's a value investor.
0: All right, thank you. And tell us who your partner is.
4: The uh, ever-popular... Former colleague uh, in, my, in the Defense Department and State Department, Vikram Singh. Ladies and gentlemen, Vikram Singh. Hi, Vikram. Welcome <laughs> to Intelligence Squared. Uh, Vikram, right
0: now you're at the Center for American Progress, you're, where you're a vice president for national security and international policy. But again, experience in the Department of State and at the Pentagon. Uh, you were Assistant Secretary of Defense for South and Southeast Asia. Uh, obviously, foreign policy touches on a lot of global territory, but where do you think we're going to be... Sp- talking a lot about tonight in particular?
5: Oh, well, I think we're going to be debating opportunities in Asia and connectivity with Latin America and uh, investment in Africa, uh, except it's 2016, so I think we're going to be talking about the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the team arguing
0: against the motion, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. So let's move on to round one. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. The motion again. Obama's foreign policy is a failure, and here to make her opening statement in support of the motion, Kristen Silverberg, who served as U.S. Ambassador to the European Union and as Assistant Secretary of State for International Affairs. Please welcome Kristen Silverberg.
3: (laughs) Failure in our view means one of two things. First, did President Obama fail to achieve the objectives he set out for himself? Did he fail to end the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, a goal that featured heavily in virtually every major foreign policy address? Did he fail to take effective action to stop mass atrocities, which he called a core national security interest? Alternatively, did President Obama fail according to the standard of any reasonable person? For example, no president intends to undermine the credibility of the United States. At the end of President Obama's tenure, do our words mean more, or less. As you heard earlier, Derek recently published a book on the precise topic under discussion tonight the Obama foreign policy legacy. And although the book is a thoughtful defense of the administration, Elliot and I are prepared to use the book against him. <laughs> so, with apologies to Derek, I'd like to begin with what I suspect were the hardest chapters to write the defense of the administration's record in Syria, which Derek acknowledges has become a regional inferno. Syria is not only the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II, it's a strategic disaster. Derek describes it as a disintegration of a regional order that the world will be grappling with for at least a generation. Refugee flows have plunged Europe into political crisis. Jihadis holding passports from 100 different countries have joined the caliphate, which now stretches over 40,000 square miles. This will have profound long-term implications for the spread of terrorism globally. Iran has expanded its influence throughout the region, and Russia now holds a position of prominence in the Middle East it hasn't enjoyed since the 1970s. American credibility suffered immense damage since President Obama failed to enforce his own red line against Bashar Assad's use of chemical weapons in 2013, in 2014, in 2015, and again this year. From an administration that called the prevention of mass atrocities a core national security interest and a core moral responsibility, Syria is a colossal failure with consequences that will be with us for generations to come. One additional failure to keep in mind. President Obama ran on and reiterated numerous times his desire to reduce the threat of nuclear weapons. He called the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which sets international rules for the use of nuclear technology, a centerpiece of his foreign policy. Rather than strengthen the treaty and encourage countries to comply with its terms, the administration rewarded its principal violator, increasing the risk that other countries will follow suit. Under the terms of the deal the administration negotiated, Iran is allowed to keep a substantial nuclear enrichment program, is allowed to continue building out its missile program in violation of numerous Security Council resolutions, and was provided close to $2 billion in cash from the U.S. Treasury. Bizarrely, Iran is allowed to do self-inspection at a key site. Nothing in the deal restrains Iran's violent activities in Syria and Iraq. Most egregiously, key terms of the deal expire in 10 and 15 years, at which point Iran could have a breakout time of weeks or even days. As a nuclear arms control deal, it's inexplicable. We urge you to vote for the motion.
0: Thank you. Kristen Silverberg. And that motion, again, is Obama's foreign policy is a failure. And here to make his opening statement against the motion, Derek Cholet, former assistant secretary of defense for international security affairs and author of The Long Game, Derek Cholet.
4: Obama has compared being president to being a relay racer in which you get elected and you inherit a situation that you can do nothing about. And all you can do as president is make the best with the time that you've got, make as much progress as you can, and then you execute a clean handoff with the next president taking the baton for his leg of the race. So foreign policy success should be measured in a simple way. Did the president improve on what he inherited? For Barack Obama's foreign policy, we believe without any doubt the answer is yes. Obama has restored America's strength and reposition America to lead in the world. Now, think back to eight years ago. If you were sitting here on November 29, 2008, by almost every measure, at home and abroad, the United States was a declining power. 800,000 Americans were losing their jobs every month. Millions of Americans had been thrown out of their homes. The U.S. economy was on the verge of complete collapse with major financial institutions had already gone under, and the U.S. auto industry was about ready to go belly up. It didn't get much better when we looked abroad, with nearly 200,000 American troops uh, in harm's way in the Middle East and Afghanistan, nearly breaking the back of the military with many of these forces on their third or fourth deployments. Countries like China and Iran were on the rise And in too many places around the world in 2008, the United States was not identified with hope and opportunity and optimism and making people's lives better, but with torture and militarism and Guantanamo Bay and climate change denial. Now, when President Obama was elected, he promised to restore and revitalize core alliances like NATO. He promised to restore America's power at home by focusing on the economy. He said he would pursue tough engagement with adversaries like Iran. He expressed a willingness to undo outdated policies like the embargo on Cuba. He said he would reduce the U.S. role in Iraq and Afghanistan while not getting overwhelmed by massive new military engagements. He said he would modernize the military while de-emphasizing military force as the primary instrument of American power, elevating diplomacy and development. He said he would rebalance American statecraft to the Asia-Pacific. He said he would try to involve Congress more meaningfully in decisions about the use of force. He said he would execute a more lethal fight against terrorists while ending excesses like torture. And he said he would pursue bold policy initiatives on issues like trade, climate change, and nuclear disarmament. This is what Obama was elected to do eight years ago, and that's what he did. And that's success. The world has its share of challenges. So we judge a president's success not on whether the world is complicated or not, or whether there are threats, but what position is the U.S. in to do something about it? Now, to judge Obama, think of it this way. In terms of America's power in the world, would you rather be Barack Obama taking the baton from George W. Bush and what he left behind, or would you rather be Donald Trump taking the baton from Barack Obama and what he has left behind? Or ask yourselves... Why is it that America's allies are so worried about what is to come with Donald Trump as president? Why have America's adversaries, why are they cheering? Why did Russia work so hard to undermine the candidacy of Barack Obama's chosen successor? Is it because Obama was failing? The right choice for tonight's question could not be clearer. I ask for your support against the resolution. I'm John Donvan. Round
0: one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this motion. Obama's foreign policy is a failure. You've heard from the first two opening statements, and now on to the third, making his way to the lectern on his side and debating for the motion, Elliot Cohen, the Robert E. Osgood Professor at Johns Hopkins University
2: School of Advanced International Studies. Elliot Cohen. In July of 2009, the president launched the so-called Russia Reset in a speech in Moscow in which he said, and I quote, there's a 19th century view that we are destined to vie for spheres of influence and that great powers must forge competing blocks to balance one another. These assumptions are wrong. Well, it is little wonder that in 2014, when Russia invaded and seized Crimea and then invaded Eastern Ukraine, both places it still is, a country whose borders it had guaranteed, all his Secretary of State could do was to splutter. It's a 19th century act in the 21st century. And today, as Russian air power smashes Syrian cities, slaughtering civilians, the administration is appropriately appalled. And when the Russian government attempts, and perhaps succeeded, in disrupting our political system by all kinds of things, including hacks into the Democratic National Committee's computers, the administration is embarrassingly silent. The Russian reset was a failure, thoroughly and unambiguously. There can be no doubt that our relations with Russia are worse today than they have been at any time since the end of the Cold War. Another failure. President Obama's came in promising to end the wars upon which we have been engaged. He told us in 2011 that the tide of war is receding and every war must end. Again, the facts. He has launched us on our third war in Iraq. He has presided over a vast campaign of drone strikes around the world. He launched a war in Libya without an authorization of the use of military force from Congress. His record in Iraq has been shattered Rather than finishing, as he promised he would, the war with al-Qaeda by killing Osama bin Laden, that organization and its affiliates have taken new and in some ways more menacing forms. He said that the Syrian war must end and Bashar al-Assad must go. But the war continues, and Assad is not going. The Obama administration claimed to have disposed of the Syrian arsenal of chemical weapons, but according to the United Nations... The fact is, the Syrian government continues to use chemical weapons to this day. He has not even been able to deliver on what was an unambiguous, admittedly symbolic, but very important goal for him. Remember how many times he promised he would shut the prison at Guantanamo Bay. The fact is, he failed to do the things he said he would do. And what of the future? In Prague in 2009, President Obama promised a world without nuclear weapons. Most nuclear powers other than the United States are modernizing their nuclear arsenals. Four out of five North Korean nuclear tests have occurred on the watch of this administration. And in fact, North Korea is building an intercontinental ballistic missile, which will be able to reach the United States. And it has detonated bombs roughly the size of the Hiroshima or Nagasaki bombs. In foreign policy, there are no prizes for effort. There are only results. That is how administrations are judged, must be judged, and by that standard, the Obama foreign policy has failed. Thank you, Elliot Cohen. And that's the motion.
0: Obama's foreign policy is a failure. And now to make his opening statement against the motion, Vikram Singh, Vice President for National Security and International Policy at the Center for American Progress and former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for South and Southeast Asia. Vikram Singh.
5: To listen to our opponents, really nothing has gone right for the United States and the world stage for the past eight years. Uh, Barack Obama has emboldened enemies. He's left allies uncertain. He has let bad behavior go unpunished. Like every president before him, Barack Obama's foreign policy has had missteps. It has not been perfect. But a failure? Those who view President Obama's foreign policy as a failure are either scoring some cheap political points or they are making two critical mistakes. First, they view the challenges Obama has been unable to overcome as catastrophic, when in fact they are the drama and tragedy that always is world events. They suggest that there are easy solutions if Obama would just lead. But the prescription of the commentariat is generally a return to the same mistakes of reckless overcommitment. Obama was elected precisely on his promise to avoid these kinds of grievous mistakes. Second, the absolutist critics of Obama ignore or distort the successes of the Obama administration to fit their narrative of failure. This does a great disservice to Obama and to America's national security by expanding fissures that will lead to wild and dangerous swings in how America relates to the world. In 2009, an Iranian nuclear bomb seemed inevitable. The Bush administration had tried and failed to get negotiations going. Observers, including Elliott, Noted, with real concern, that Iran had massive stockpiles of uranium, including enough highly enriched uranium, for at least one bomb. At that time, the Obama administration took the threat seriously. Our intelligence services worked to slow Iran's enrichment, including with offensive cyber operations to destroy their centrifuges. American military planners prepared for targeted attacks, keeping every option on the table for the president. American diplomats led by Hillary Clinton secured the most restrictive and effective sanctions in history, sanctions that could only work with cooperation from Moscow, Beijing, and Europe. Today, Iran has no highly enriched uranium. It has insufficient uranium of any kind to make even one bomb. And highly intrusive inspections help verify compliance. Could they cheat? Possibly. But our military option would still be on the table, and with much more information for planners. Are Iranians still supporting terror and brutality at home and in the region? They are. But they are now 10 to 15 years away from a nuclear bomb, instead of weeks or months which makes every other security challenge more manageable. That is a foreign policy success. What about climate? We know that climate change threatens humanity and will increase instability, violence, and population displacement. They worked over years with China to develop a relationship so that they could come up with a pact whereby the two biggest emitters would lead the world to make Paris a success. Unless a new American president tears up the Paris Agreement, the world will actually be on the path for the first time to start reducing carbon emissions. That is a foreign policy success. The fact is, today, majorities of the world view America and Barack Obama favorably. As he ends his term, he has a 60% approval rating. We believe that you will think as we do that Obama's theme song upon exiting this administration will be, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. (laughs) Thank you, Vikram Singh, and again, the motion is Obama's foreign policy is a failure,
0: and that concludes round one. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York. We have this motion, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. Two debaters arguing in favor of this motion, Kristen Silverberg and Elliot Cohen. They define failure for Obama in a couple of ways. One is just the regular common sense, reasonable person's way, they say. And also in terms of what the president set out as his goals on both counts, they say the president has failed miserably. They called forth a parade of disasters. Syria, which they described as a regional inferno. Iran, still dangerous. Russia, disrespecting the United States. Uh, And their overall argument is that President Obama has left the United States less powerful and less secure. The team arguing against the motion, Derek Chalet and Vikram Singh, they're doing a sort of a hold-on-there-cowboy kind of argument. They're saying, yes, indeed, Um, The president encountered bad outcomes, uh, not everything he wanted, but they say he had a number of uh, clear foreign policy wins, climate change. They see the Iran nuclear deal as an example of uh, an enhancement of global security because Iran is no longer days or months away from being able to develop a nuclear bomb. They say that the president has restored America's strength and its position in the world and its reputation by restoring alliances, by pursuing bad guys, by modernizing the military. So I want to go to the team arguing for the motion that Obama's foreign policy is a failure and just ask you to reflect, I'll start with you, Elliot Cohen, on your opponent's argument that reputationally President Obama leaves the United States in an enhanced position to the one he he founded in when he took office in the first place.
2: You know, do people like President Obama? The answer is yes. I like President Obama and I'm sure most of you do as well. The more important question is, Do they respect him? And I would say reputationally, there's nothing that compares with the hit that occurs when a president says, here's a red line. You cross that red line and bad things happen, and you don't follow through. Why don't
0: we take 30 seconds for you to remind people... What happened in August of 2013? Actually,
5: I should let Derek do this. Because okay, Derek, he wrote go the okay. book on it and was in the situation room for the, for the discussion. So
4: in August of 2013, Bashar al-Assad uses chemical weapons against his own people, uh, which crosses the red line that President Obama had set. Uh, he launches on an effort to uh, prepare for the use of military force against Assad. Uh, then, to our surprise, an opportunity arose to do something we had never imagined possible, which was get rid of most of Syria's chemical weapons through diplomacy, something that the use of force would not have achieved. And the, do, your, do your opponents agree basically that's what happened?
3: Basically, although I just reiterate that Bashar Assad didn't just cross the red line in 2013. He continued to cross the red line in 2014, 2015, and also in August this year.
4: You, using things that were not covered by the chemical no, weapons No, according
3: convention. to the august UN report, uh, this year – using things that were covered by the agreement with the Obama administration. Okay, let me
0: bring it back to the other side, and you can speak on I just
3: just put this in big context.
4: In Iraq, we used force to deal with the WMD threat that did not exist, and we are still dealing with the strategic consequences of that decision. In Syria, we did not use force, and it ended up dealing with a WMD threat that did exist and was, in fact, far worse than the CIA wrongly estimated the Iraq threat uh, was – and that's criticized as a bad decision. All
0: right, but the, the argument is that by having blustered and then not done it, that he hurt America's credibility.
5: What's your response to that? Well, the fact is that his credible military threat ended up resulting in something that eliminated far more. The estimate was that we would get 25 to 50 percent of Syria's military chemical weapons through a military operation. We got maybe not 100 percent, but near close to it. Do Something you, like 12,000 tons of chemical weapons peacefully removed from do Syria. You, do you
0: concede but, your opponent's point, though, on the, on the optics of the situation, that it, was very, that it was damaging to his reputation to have made the threat and not followed through militarily? Uh, Derek Chalet. I, I no think point.
4: we actually achieved a better outcome by not using force. And moreover, on the optics, it always gets cherry-picked, the red line, because, of course, no one talks about the optics of a threat he did follow through on militarily, which was taking out Osama bin Laden.
2: Okay, let's let the other side respond. Well, look, any president who had Osama bin Laden in his gun sights and didn't take him out not would have been impeached, true. and deservedly no, so. Not I'm, not I, true. Don't th- I don't That's think you get a lot true. of credit that for is that. Not true. But, but more importantly, I mean, how you can paint this as a success? Half a million people dead, 13 million refugees, something that is destabilizing Europe, and the regime is still using chemical weapons. By the way, the Islamic State has used chemical weapons. This is not me talking, this is the United Nations talking. This is not success. Did he get some things right? I'm sure he did. The question is whether he got the important things right. Vikram Singh.
5: It is unassailably true that we are better off in every way. Had Russia or China or any other contingency come about in 2008 or 2009, our capacity, our military capacity to actually deal with another threat was tremendously limited. Let's bring in Kristen Silverberg
3: it 's November 29 2016, and it's still impossible to have a conversation with an Obama administration officials without immediately hearing the words "George W. Bush." That's a concession of failure. If they had a successful record to run on if they had successes to tout, they would cite them.
0: Go let the other side respond.
4: In terms of success, successes, I think the Iran deal is a success. We can debate that. I think the climate change agreement is a success. I think The end end of a failed policy towards Cuba is a success. And I think the state of our alliance relationships around the world are stronger today than they were eight years
2: ago. If I could, I'd like to to ask, in a way, a question back. So our colleagues have talked about the long game. But in that case, if you look at the Iran deal, for example, ten years from now, the Iranians have the legal cover. They certainly have the technology because they have thousands of centrifuges. They have the (laughs) ballistic missiles. They have self inspection on their weapons facility, they'll be able to develop nuclear weapons. And there's not a whole lot that we can legally do.
0: Just to make the clear, start- the, deal, uh, the, the, the deal allows for that. Yes, the deal okay. does. For folks who you don't know, no, no, okay.
2: Similarly, with climate change, yes, you have an agreement, but if the next president, as he promises to do, tears it up, which I think is likely, then how can you claim it as a success? If you're crossing- The fact is the Obama administration
5: shifted America from simply being in a morass in the Middle East and in Afghanistan to being able to do much more on the world stage on a whole host of issues. The United States has shifted to a model of working with others. Right now, Iraq is fighting ISIS. We are supporting them to fight ISIS. We are not reinvading to do it for them. We really got off track by thinking, one, that everything was our responsibility, and two, that we were somehow omnipotent and we could actually simply turn on the switch of American charm and American military might and fix far-away problems in far-away cultures uh, by leaving okay. 150,000 troops somewhere indefinitely. So, Kristen Silverberg, I
0: think your opponents are saying that, that, the, that, it was, that it was a mark of the president's success that he was able to back out of certain ditches that foreign policy was in when he came into office, that we're today quagmire-free, and that in itself that constitutes a kind of success. What's your
4: response? They're
3: suggesting that he's cleanly wrapped up the challenge in Iraq, which is, of course, not true. We have thousands of troops on the ground today trying to instead of having prevented ISIS from taking Mosul in the first place we're now trying the very violent and bloody and difficult task of working with the Iraqis to try to take it back so it's not that he has kept us out of a quagmire it's that he's ignored the obvious facts on the ground that would allow us to prevent some of these events from taking place in the first place
0: where is the united states left in terms of its influence on events in the world different from the reputation question starting with you elliot cohen and maybe you want to put it in the um to get
2: specific talk about russia our influence in Russia is minimal. It's pretty clear that the Russians are not particularly apprehensive about any reaction to us, which is why they've been willing to do the things that they've done in, not only in Ukraine, but in the United States. I don't think I can stress that strongly enough. If I could use a different example as well, the so-called pivot to Asia. At the heart of that was something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a large trade treaty, which was also a very much a, stra- a strategic deal that was really going to cement the bloc that would balance China. The president was unable to persuade Congress to go along with that. The Chinese have already started something called the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, and our allies, the Australians, have just signed up for it. And where, mean, that, does, where, does it sit, where does it sit down on the question it's of, a of, of, of influence? It is, it is. We have less influence in Asia. Okay, let's take it to the other side. The
5: fact is President Obama spent considerable time, as did every other leader of his cabinet, in the Asia Pacific. He stood by the prime minister of Japan, and he made an ironclad commitment to the Article Five mutual defense commitment of the United States to Japan. He went into building a relationship with China where we can actually both find ways to be constructive – for example, on climate change, we made progress on cyber. Let's see how that goes. And then we're going to have issues where China, acting as an independent nation, is going to do things that really irritate us. And those, the question is, how do we respond to those? Do we have the capacity? Does the next president have tools at his or her disposal to deal with these sorts of challenges? In 2009, those tools were very limited. Our engagement in the Asia-Pacific was, to be frank, pathetic. In the Bush era. Kristen Except Silverberg. Except
3: that the TPP began under President Bush. The Korea Free Trade ag- Agreement was negotiated and signed under President Bush. The landmark India nuclear deal was negotiated and signed under President Bush, and the China strategic dialogue began under President Bush. You're grossly exaggerating the novelty of our investment in Asia. Do you,
0: do you conclude, Kristen, that our influence in Asia is less than it was ab- eight years ago? Ab-
3: absolutely. Evidence? The gravitational pull of China's growing economy is even greater, and our, our really our one tool to try to counteract that was the TPP, which has now failed for lack of political support. In fact, it was the one thing on which Donald Trump and Secretary Clinton agreed.
0: I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. Okay, I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Square debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. Sir, uh, I'm looking right at you. If you can stand up, and the mic's coming down your right-hand side. Can you tell us your name? Hi, uh, my name is Josh Um Given the, the assumption that I, I think everyone in this room would agree with that globalism is sort of a good to be pushed for, uh, and given the rise of nativism, provincialism in Europe, in England, um, coming almost to the United States, what share of, of the blame would Barack Obama and his foreign policy have in regards to that? Derek, should well, I?
4: Well, I think there's no question that one of President Obama's greatest frustrations as he's leaving office is the fact that globalism, globalization is under assault. From all corners, and, and certainly one of the projects of his presidency, and I expect of his post presidency will be to continue to make the case on behalf of the United States and the world uh, for the benefits of globalization, but also the huge challenges globalization presents and what we need to do about it let 's bring in Kristen Silverberg.
3: Barack Obama ran aggressively against trade in 2008. He ran against the Columbia FTA, he ran against NAFTA, and it helped to fuel this strong anti-trade sentiment within his own party. After the midterm elections and the Republican win, he went back, he went to Congress to ask for trade promotion authority, but he passed it overwhelmingly with Republican support, not with support from his own party. And so absolutely, I think he bears strong responsibilities for this sort of anti-trade, anti-globalization sentiment.
0: Another question? If you could stand up, please, and tell us your name.
3: Uh,
1: my name's Shay, and I was just curious about um, your thoughts on Obama's drone program. It's one of the least spoken about aspects of his uh, legacy, and I just
0: Well, I just know you the, your question doesn't actually get us to whether something was a failure or a success. And, and do you want to try to rephrase that in a way that feeds into the motion? Yes. Than-
1: do you think uh, his use of drones has bettered our foreign policy or made
4: it worse? <laughs>
0: Let's go to uh, Derek Cholet.
4: You know, this gets back to the conundrum of Barack Obama. On the one hand, to some, of our, some of his critics, he's this weak president who's unwilling to use force and lets red lines go unenforced. But to others, uh, he's the president who's presided over uh, this massive expansion of the use of drones to kill terrorist leaders around the world. What I think is, is a success is to ensure that we're as transparent as we can be about the use of this very effective tool, this counterterrorism tool, the use of drones, to try to ensure that we get as much public support for it as possible by talking about it openly.
2: Elliot Cohen again, the drone policy, a measure of success or failure. Look, it has been the most successful large-scale campaign of assassination in human history. And, <laughs> and, and, and I'm not opposed to it. Um, But I'll tell you where I think he failed. And actually, I would say the administration I was part of failed as well. That is, in terms of thinking about the jihadi threat as something that you address with this one instrument, which is targeted killing. Um, And for the rest, you talk around the fundamental issues. What is now about to happen, and it's one of the many reasons why Kristen and I have been very deeply opposed to the president-elect, is you're now going to have the swing of the pendulum. And the swing of the pendulum is just going to be talking about Muslims as our enemies. And that's A, untrue, and B, it is nuts. So I, I would say he failed the way the administration that I was part of failed in being able to discuss this with the American people in a way that was true and made sense. Question?
1: Hi, uh,
5: Anouk day. My question is on the migration crisis and this kind of epic flow of refugees through the world and whether that can be considered
1: a failure of Obama's policy.
0: So I think this side has already cited that as part of an evidence of failure, so I would just want the other side to respond to it since it hasn't come up in the debate before.
4: Um, who would you like to... Derek? I think one of the areas that... Our response, the U.S. response, has underperformed. I don't think this amounts to a full-scale failure, is that we haven't taken in enough refugees here in the United States, particularly compared to some of our European partners. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think that news is going to get any better anytime soon. Um, but, look, the United States has also done a lot to try to stem the res- refugee crisis at the source, particularly in the Middle East, uh, by being the largest humanitarian donor to the crisis in Syria at over $6 billion to help the refugees in camps in Jordan and Turkey so they don't uh, have the incentive to go to go elsewhere. Um, let the other side now
0: respond to that essentially rebuttal of your opening statement, I think, um, Elliot.
4: Um,
2: look, that Syrian refugee crisis would not exist if this war had not gone on as long as it has. I I Elliot, what, what would be some somethings that he might have done? They were recommending arming the Syrian opposition much, we much did. earlier Which on. We,
4: we, and, mo- we did six take, months later.
2: And, Ta-
3: taking out Syrian um, airfields, so limiting the ability of the Syrian government to engage in these kind of mass air attacks. I mean, the fact is, you don't actually have to conclude that any of these would have been the silver bullet to realize that the options they tried failed.
4: Again, so then what? What comes next? I think part of whether you're a success or a failure is not making the same mistakes of the past, and that's certainly something no, that President made Obama new, tried you to made avoid. you made your
3: own new mistakes. You eh, found entirely eh, new ways Every to president
4: fail. makes mistakes. Let me, let me just I, ask – let me
0: just, just – they, they're conceding that their, their president made their own mistakes, but they're also saying not making the same mistakes of the past – that they deserve some credit for that. Too. Just
3: to be clear, no one was proposing a massive invasion, large-scale occupation of Syria. The options on the table, which they considered and rejected, were about things to limit the ability of the Syrian government to engage in a massacre of civilians. You know, the vast majority of these 13 million displaced people are fleeing the Syrian government, and they didn't do anything about that fact.
4: Let me try one more question. My name is Dylan Dutson. With half a million, as we've talked about in Syria, dead, millions and millions of refugees, hundreds of thousands dead across the Middle East, what, why are we not talking about the moral argument of war? I, I want to know how you cannot call President Obama's foreign policy a failure on moral grounds with this many people dead and displaced. Do
0: you make a moral argument? Either the team arguing that the president's policy is a failure? Do you make a moral argument on that?
2: He's a moral man who's actions or more often inaction, but sometimes his actions, have had terrible consequences. I I do not blame him as a human being for that. But I think your question is absolutely the right one. And the moral issues do have to be at the center of a lot of what American foreign policy is about. And what I think is tragic, and I, I do think this is a tragic failure, let me be very clear about that, is that because the president and his representatives here were so obsessed with actions that they thought had brought different kinds of failures, for some reason, that they des- he decided not to act, not realizing that inaction can bre- bring equally terrible or more terrible consequences. Let's let the other side respond.
5: Syria is a catastrophe in every dimension. There is no doubt in my mind that is the thing that will haunt the members of this administration that this much tragedy happened on their watch, does the fact that they could not stop the collapse of Syria, which is caused, let's not forget, by the brutality of Bashar al-Assad, not by the United States of America. You know, I, don't, I, I think it is somewhat unknowable. Is it a moral failing? Would it have been more of a moral failing if we had acted and Assad had fallen and Syria descended even further into chaos and civil war and anarchy? You know, the fact is you make calls, and you sometimes don't even get to know whether you made the right call or not because these choices are so hard. Barack Obama had to make a lot of hard calls. He probably got some wrong. He certainly got some wrong when it comes to Syria, But that does not make his entire foreign policy a failure, even if we have to deal with the tragedy in Syria. That
0: concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is Obama's foreign policy is a failure. And now we move on to round three. Round three will be brief closing statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first, in the closing round, making her argument in support of the motion for the last time, Kristen Silverberg, former U.S. Ambassador to the European Union.
3: Derek wrote about President Obama's effort to play the long game, to build a foreign policy foundation that could really outlast the administration. And American history is full of examples of presidents who successfully played the long game. When I worked at the State Department, I worked mostly on institutions that were established by Presidents Roosevelt and Truman. Military strategists who work in the Pentagon today are guided by deterrence and containment strategies that were developed during the Eisenhower administration. The Nonproliferation Treaty, which we've debated here tonight, which President Obama described as a centerpiece of his foreign policy, was signed by President Johnson. Some presidencies have a very long tail. They lay a foundation for American strength, Decades later, can anyone argue today that the major initiatives of the Obama administration, the Iran deal, the Cuba agreement, the climate change accord, will stand the test of time? Will they even survive the next round of tweets from the president elect? <laughs> the Obama legacy is going up in smoke, one tweet at a time. And if that isn't a failure of the long game, I don't know what is.
0: Thank you, Kristen Silverberg. The motion is Obama's foreign policy is a failure, and here making his closing statement against the motion, Derek Chalet, counselor and senior advisor at the German Marshall Fund and author of The Long Game.
4: Look, the question for all of us and how we should define success or failure is, do we think Barack Obama has set the United States up for success? Knowing that his successor can change things if he chooses to do so, and he probably will. You know, I, I want to talk about how we should think about Obama historically, because I think as we're nearing the end of his presidency and we think about issues like success or failure, it's instructed to try to compare him to other presidents. And it's actually interesting to start where Barack Obama himself begins, uh, when he asked which president's foreign policy he most emulates. He brings up two that are pretty surprising for a Democratic president. He talks about a George Bush, not the George W. Bush we've talked a lot about tonight, but George H.W. Bush. And he's also talked about Dwight Eisenhower. What those presidents shared was a sense of U.S. leadership in the world, a sense of importance of balance that the United States has to uh, 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 pursue in terms of the, the tools that we use, in terms of the regions in which we play, in terms of what we expect ourselves to do, what we want, think others should do. All, those, all three of those presidents, Obama, Bush, and, and Eisenhower, talked about the importance of sustainability. Uh, they ran fairly effective foreign policies. They also had the patience that's required to play the long game. And it's pretty instructive right now. There's no Republican politician that I can think of in foreign policy, including now the president-elect, who would like to compare themselves to Eisenhower or George H.W. Bush, but our outgoing Democratic president does. We're set up well for the long game, ladies and gentlemen. Barack Obama's foreign policy in totality has been a success. I urge you to vote against the resolution.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Derek Cholet. And that resolution again, Obama's foreign policy is a failure. And here making his closing statement, supporting the motion, Elliot Cohen, professor at Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies and author of The Big Stick.
2: So it's transition time, and I think about a transition eight years ago. Uh, as a Bush administration official, I was being interviewed by two senior, quite senior incoming members of the new team, people I'd known for quite a while, Uh, and who went on to very high positions. And as we talked, I could see the thought bubbles coming out of their head. And the thought bubbles were fool or knave. Well, we know him, so we'll just say fool. And when they left, the thought bubble coming out of my head was this. I'm a monotheist. But if I were a pagan, I'd offer up a couple of pigeons to Nemesis... Nemesis, the gray-eyed goddess, daughter of Zeus, who punishes hubris, arrogance. And I thought to myself, these folks think they know. They have no idea what they're getting themselves in for, and they have no idea how hard it will be, in fact, how impossible it will be, for their candidate, the president-elect, to do the things he said he will do. He won't end the wars. He won't finish off Al-Qaeda. He won't transform our relationship with Russia. He won't start us on a path to a world without nuclear weapons. Nemesis is not going to be amused. And I was right. Nemesis pursues all administrations. I have to say I think it pursued the Obama administration because of its high aspirations and excessive promises and because of the self-confidence of President Obama himself with particular vengeance. And Nemesis doesn't care whether or not it's your fault or how hard you tried. So if I could get Nemesis from her orbit around Trump Tower right now, (laughs) I would get her to pay a quick visit and I know she would vote in favor of the resolution. Thank you, Elliot Cohen, and that resolution. Once
0: again, Obama's foreign policy is a failure, and here making his closing statement against the motion, Vikram Singh, Vice President for National Security and International Policy at the
5: Center for American Progress. When the next president takes office, he can choose to continue what Barack Obama has left to him. He can choose to continue a sustainable fight with a coalition of 60 nations against ISIS. He can choose to continue to try to bring stability to the Middle East in cooperation with allies and partners from all over the world, including Arab countries. He can choose to continue to advance non-proliferation. It's complicated, it's messy, but he can advance it. He can make sure the Iran deal is enforced. He can come up with innovative new ways to work with the other countries we'll have to work with to tackle the North Korea challenge. He can choose to continue to make progress on climate change for the sake of our future and for our kids. He can choose to take advantage of the progress that was provided to him by this president, despite the enormous challenges he inherited. I know Derek talked about them at the beginning. I know our opponents don't like to talk about them. But that those are the bookends. A near catastrophe at home and abroad in 2008, and a lot of progress that the next president can choose to build on. There are no magic bullets in foreign policy. There are generally no good choices. But the motion is Was Barack Obama's foreign policy a failure. There are mistakes, missteps. There could even be failures on individual areas. But that is not the totality of the record. The totality of the record is something that a strong US president in 2017 could build on for the betterment of this country and the world. I urge you to vote against the motion.
0: Thank you, Vikram Singh. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is Obama's foreign policy is a failure. All right, I have the results in. Once again, the motion is this. Obama's foreign policy is a failure. You've heard the arguments for and against. And remember, we've had you vote twice And victory goes to the team whose numbers changed the most between the first and the second vote. In the first vote, 19% of you were for the motion, 38% were against, 43% were undecided. In the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, again, their first vote was 19%. Their second vote was 42%. They picked up 23 percentage points. That is the number to beat. Let's look at the team arguing against the motion. Their first vote was 38%. Second vote was 49%. They only picked up 11 percentage points. That means the team arguing for the motion. Our winners, our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Rob Christensen and Kristen Muller are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information on that or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from The Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Christopher W. Johnson, Charitable Trust, Ilona Nemeth and Ellen Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and the Paul E. Singer Foundation. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thank you.